Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 10 to 13. Um, After that, I'll pray and then relocate a little bit. Okay. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. All right, let me pray for us. God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time. And even though there's so many different things going on in our hearts, even though this world is causing us to look to the left, to the right, up and down, even though our feelings keep swaying with every moment, we're reminded that the thing that we need most of all is your presence. And I pray that you would pour out your presence on us and remind us that even though we are small, that if you are with us, we are mighty. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So over the last maybe month or so, my daughter Arlo and I have been catching up with each other by asking each other, so how was your day? And you know, after a while, it's just like I ate, I slept, I went to school. So we started changing it up a little bit and we started asking each other, so tell me the sounds of your day. And she comes up with the most interesting sounds. There's I'm like, what is that? She's like, that's Arlo drinking milk. I go, oh, okay. And then there's and I'm like, what's that? She goes, that's Arlo getting a haircut. And of course, there's my favorite, which is and I'll let you guess what that one is, (laughs) right? Most of the sounds that are so common um, that like we hear them all the time and we rarely think about them. But when I hear it through Arlo's kind of unique sounds, I'm like, oh, the way things sound can sometimes have a profound impact on us and the way that we see the world. August 18th, 1969, a former U.S. soldier who served in the 101st Airborne walked onto a stage in upstate New York and made a strange sound. He plugged a chord into an upside-down guitar that ran through a UK valve Marshall 1959 JTM 100-watt super lead amplified through 16 speakers in four Marshall cabinets, and he played the national anthem. Now, the noise was unlike any rendition previously heard. The song was as old and as traditional as apple pie, but this 3-minute and 46-second version distorted, bent, cacophonous, sounded like sirens and bombs exploding in the sky and on the streets. And to many, 
these noises mirrored the social tensions of the late 60s. Now, when he was asked about it on the Dick Cavett show, the guitar player, Jimi Hendrix, simply said, I'm American, so I played it. It's not unorthodox. I thought it was beautiful. An old song with a new sound, a patriotic tune punctuated with sounds of protest, a strange clash of old and new. In verse 13 of our passage, we're told about a strange sound that was heard from far away. And it was the sounds of two things clashing together. Old men weeping tears and young men shouting shouts of joy. I first started thinking about this passage as Good News Church was getting ready to meet in person. Now for over a year, we'd been meeting virtually and it got to the point where my daughter would ask, is it time for church? And what she meant was, is it time for me to sit in front of a computer for an hour and a half while I get to eat snacks? And when I thought about what her idea of church would be growing up, it made me a little sad. And before we met here on 37th Street, we met in Flatiron at a dance studio. And I'll be honest, I never thought of that place as majestic. I never was like, I cannot wait to go there and take in the wonderful architecture. Until we started settling into Zoom church. That time created this longing to gather anywhere. I'll meet anywhere as long as, as, long as I can see you guys. And to be in each other's presence, to hear each other's voices, not filtered through Zoom and the internet. Now, when we did start meeting in person, it was an awesome feeling, like the Israelites in verse 11, and like today, we sang with praise and thanksgiving, God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. But as we continue to meet, there was also another feeling, and that feeling was it's not quite as good or not quite the same as it used to be. With masks, with social distancing, with less numbers, you could sense that the joy of meeting together was mixed with a nostalgia for the way that things were. Now in college, there was a food truck that I'd go to like two or three times a week. It was called Kim's. And it was a magical place where you would show up, you pay $3, you get fluffy rice and a pile of the most delicious sesame chicken you've ever had. So after a few years, I graduated, and then I went back to Philly, and of course, I had to have this delicious chicken. So I get to the truck, and prices are up. And I'm like, oh, uh, inflation, I guess. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I get the order. It's in a styrofoam box, and they gave me the wrong order. It's General Tso's chicken, not sesame chicken. So I take it back to the guy and go, hey, this is not what I ordered. I ordered sesame chicken. He looks annoyed, took the box, sprinkled some sesame seeds on it, <laughs> gave it back. It's like, there. And I ate it, and it wasn't the same. And there, sitting in that parking lot, I was thrust into an existential dilemma. What happened to this place that I loved? How could it have changed so much? Or what's worse, maybe it's always been like this and it hasn't changed at all, but I have. What happened to the magic? Where did it go? Ezra chapter three occurs in the year 537 BC. This is 50 years after Jerusalem had been taken over by the king and the old temple was destroyed. The old temple was grand. It was Kim's chicken with all of the sesame seeds and it was built by Solomon. Now we know Solomon as uh, David's son, the guy who asked for wisdom instead of riches when he was a little boy. But from a geopolitical point of view, he was much more than that. 
His reign marked the apogee of Israel's history. His father David thoroughly wiped out all of their enemies, bringing about an era of peace. And under Solomon, all of the 12 tribes of Israel were united. And there was incredible wealth, and even foreign dignitaries would come and visit to gaze upon Israel's splendor. The first temple was not just a grand building. It was a symbol of the best of times in the same way that the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors reflected the growing status of the Bay Area in the wider world, the best team for the best city. Now, theologically, temples in the ancient Near East societies differ tremendously from churches today. Churches exist to gather people together. Temples exist to provide a residence for God. This is where God's house was. So, for example, in northwestern Syria, in a place called Ain Dara, you'll see a strange thing at this temple. You see a meter-big footprint pressed into the ground. 10 to 15 feet later, you see another one pressed into the ground, and then another one pressed into the ground. These are footprints that are going in to the temple with no footprints going out. The implied message of the architecture being, this is the place where God comes to dwell and does not leave. <sighs> Cut to verse 12. Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. The grandness of the temple represented the grandness of the God. So when the old heads saw how small the foundation was, they wept. It was a visual reminder that Israel was not near as powerful as it used to be. But it was more than that. It thrust people into an existential dilemma even though they are singing, God is good. His love endures towards Israel forever. Part of them must have wondered, is God still with us in the same way? The post-exilic community could see with their eyes that the new temple could not compare with the old. And the church today, living in a post-pandemic world, can also see that the way we worship together has changed. And these situations make us wonder, God, are you still here? Are you still with us? When confronted with this question, what comfort does this passage give? It comforts us first by telling us that God's presence does not depend on external circumstances, does not depend on the things that we can see. In American Christianity, one of the hardest default sweating settings to switch off is the idea that God is with you when things are going well, and when things are going bad, he's against you. Now, this was something that a German sociologist at the beginning of the 20th century named Max Weber noted. Reformed Christianity, the type of Christianity that we belong to, as well as the one that had the biggest imprint on American religion, holds central the idea that God pours out his love regardless of our efforts. Another way to say this is radical grace. But because his choice is completely independent of what we do, it makes it extremely difficult to know whether we belong with God or not. And as a result, Weber argued that this ambiguity caused Christians to become obsessed with external circumstances as a sign that God had blessed us. So external success, like getting into a good school, making a lot of money, getting the job that we want, became a sign that we were God's chosen. And on the flip side, whenever our circumstances changed, we interpret that as a sign that God is no longer with us. But God challenges that default setting in these passages. Now, this does not always happen in the Bible, but if you look throughout it, you'll see that there's another book that pretty much addresses this same event, but
but from a different perspective. Ezra is providing a historical narration of what happens. The book of Haggai, who is a prophet, provides prophetic insight, and God speaks into that situation and gives his opinion on what's going on. In Haggai chapter 2, this is what it says. God says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He validates their feelings of, God, this is just not as good. Yet now be strong, be strong, and be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place I will give peace. God says, I know, I know, I know. From the outside, everything looks worse than the way that it used to be. But do not fear. I am with you. And something even greater is on the way. Now, there's so many examples of this dynamic throughout the Bible. Probably one of my favorites comes from Acts chapter 7. We read about the first Christian martyr whose name was Stephen. He had just been made a deacon to help feed Greek-speaking Jews, and he was sharing the gospel with people. Those people took offense, and they were about to stone him, and ultimately he died. So just as this was happening, Acts chapter 7, verse 55, tells us something very interesting. It says, Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now the Apostles' Creed tells us something. It tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. But here, just as from the outside everything is going wrong for Stephen, Jesus stands. And by standing, he says, Stephen, I got your back. When everything is taken from us and we're lying half dead on the side of the road, Jesus, like the Good Samaritan, carries us. In Romans 5, Paul tells us, God demonstrated his own love for us and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ezra 3, Haggai 2, tell us that even though from the outside things look like they're not going well and maybe they're not even as good as they used to be, God is still here. God is still with us. He is still with you. Second, this passage reminds us that God's presence does not depend on our feelings. And I think most of you probably know, or at the very least can guess, that I am a highly emotional person, and I tend to place a lot of value in how I feel, and that determines how I'm doing. So, for example, if I preach a message, and in the middle of it I feel like it's not going well, I start getting nervous. And then I start getting like sweat on the top of my head. And then I start getting sweat under my armpits. And then I just want to crawl into, crawl into a hole and like never come out. And I think to myself, God, I'm your servant. I was speaking for you and you abandoned me. Where did you go? I never want to do this again. And I think for a lot of us, especially as we get older, we tend to have that same tendency. In general, we gravitate more and more towards the things that make us feel good and avoid the things that make us feel bad. We're like that guy Roger Murtaugh and Lethal Weapon, and we say, I'm too old for this stuff. To be spending my time doing things that make me uncomfortable. And this can distort our understanding of God's presence in our lives. We think that if we don't feel him or if we're doing something for him and it doesn't feel right, then he's not there with us. 
But in this season, God is encouraging this church and me not to be ruled by our feelings. Even if something doesn't feel right, but you're sure that's what God wants you to do, do it. Whether you're up, whether you're down, God is with you. Now, the young people in Ezra chapter 3, they are the perfect embodiment of the phrase, ignorance is bliss. They never saw the old temple. So, of course, they're like, this is great. This temple is wonderful. They're like, you know, younger generation people who think LeBron is the best because they never saw Jordan. They're like our kids who like sugar-free organic treats because they never had an ice cream Snickers bar. They're like, this is great. I'm like, not really. If you go to just the bodega, you'll see something much better. And the younger people in Ezra 3, they shout for joy because they didn't know any better. And then on the other hand, you have these old people who wept with sadness because they knew that at least based on the appearance, this new temple was not as good as the old one. Whether you're ignorantly happy or knowingly depressed, God is with you. In 1 Kings 19, we have a great example of this. Elijah is the most prophety prophet that ever profited. And he performs miracles, speaks truth to power. He calls Israel to turn from idols and worship God. But in 1 Kings 19, he's depressed. And it's fascinating to see a great man at his lowest moment. Eventually, he gets the strength after eating some cake and taking a nap <laughs> to pray. And he opens his mouth, and this is what he said to God. God, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm done with this. And as he talks to God, you figure out why he feels this way. He says, God, I've been serving you all of these years, and Israel has not turned back. He feels like a failure. He says, God, I've been serving you all these years, and there's no one with me. He feels like he's all alone. But it's right here in his saddest, most depressed, most <sighs> moment that God reveals himself in an unexpected way. In verses 11 to 13, he says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? When Elijah was depressed, when he felt like a failure, when he felt all alone, God revealed himself in a surprising way, in a quiet whisper, and he said, hey, Elijah, I got your back. No matter how things look, no matter how we feel, God is with us. And there's one more thing that we should note. Even though it may seem like things are worse right now than what they used to be, God actually has something greater in store in the future. In Haggai 2.9, we are told that the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Now, if you rely only on your eyes and only on your feelings, it's going to be hard to believe that the best days aren't behind us that God has something better in store. But this is exactly how God works. His modus operandi is like a super bouncy ball. The lower it goes and the more violently it's depressed, the higher it pops up. And the people in Ezra 3 mostly imagines God's presence embodied in stone and earth. But they probably could not have imagined that one day God would come in flesh and blood. And even if they did, they probably thought he'd be, you know, at least handsome or jacked. But Isaiah 53 tells us, no, that's not the case. That in his appearance, he had no beauty, no majesty, nothing to attract us to him. 
On the outside, from external appearances, Jesus was not anything to look at. Not only that, Isaiah 53 tells us that he was a man of sorrows. The people in Ezra 3 probably would never have guessed that God's presence would dwell permanently with an unattractive man who was sad. But that is exactly where it became embodied for all time. And by choosing a body like this, instead of a stone temple as his permanent residence, Jesus saves us from more than just our temporary setbacks or minor disappointments or our emotions. He saved us to our very core from a darkness that clung deep in our hearts and brought us true peace. So in closing, one of the things that I miss most about meeting in person was seeing all the kids running around. Um, I used to love hearing them run around and play the drums and sing and yell and shout. And I love like picking their brains and like seeing how they're doing. And a few weeks after we started meeting in person, one of the couples in our church came with their son and they said, hey, sing your favorite song for uh, Uncle Fred. And this little boy, I think two, maybe two, he sang the opening lines of Be Thou My Vision. Now the last 18 months have been filled with many strange sounds. The sounds of people clashing, the sounds of people in despair, but hearing a child sing, Be Thou My Vision, made Psalm 8 come alive. Out of the mouths of infants and babes, you have ordained praise to silence your enemies. And not only that, but that sound reminded me that no matter how things look or no matter how they feel, God is with us. And something greater is in store. Be Thou My Vision. O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Let's pray. God, it is good to be in your presence. And it's good to be reminded that we can't always trust what we see. We can't always trust what we feel. You are with us because your word doesn't change. And not just that, there's something great in store, something more than we could possibly ask or imagine. Help us not to give up. Help us not to despair. Help us not to sink into sadness, but instead to come together like the people did in Ezra chapter 3, and sing in a deeper way, in a more profound way, with thanksgiving that you are good and that your steadfast love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.